to the Getting Past the Premium podcast, where we focus on breaking down risk management problems bit by bit until we find a solution. Today, we welcome Seth Denson to the show. All right, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming in, man. Hey, good to be here. Yeah, we've got Ryan and Seth Denson joining us and uh, here to talk today on how do we get past the premium in the healthcare space, right? Mm-hmm. And notice I said healthcare, not health insurance. That's right. Good job. Yeah, right. I'm learning from you. <laughs> yeah. You know? So when we talk about the whole show is about how do we become an advisor versus sell a product or, you know, be that insurance salesman or whatnot across the industry. But again, specific to healthcare, uh, maybe give us your perspective on just that piece of the conversation. What does an advisor mean in healthcare versus selling health insurance? Sure. Well, I think you have to draw the distinction between the advisor and the broker, right? I mean, in yes. they're just pure definition terms. A broker shops a commodity, which is health insurance, uh, and an advisor guides you through the process of what that health insurance is and, and perhaps maybe the derivative of what has caused that. So let me break that down. You said it at the beginning very well, and I appreciate that. There is a distinctive difference between health care and health insurance, right? Health care is what you get. Health insurance is how you finance it. Uh, and, and unfortunately, and we say it all the time here to our clients yeah. that we're advising, if you're focused on the health insurance premiums, you're focused on the wrong thing. You're focused on that which they want you to focus. Because a lot of times the industry, not a lot of times, all the time, the industry is hoping that you'll focus on the health insurance premiums because as long as you're focused on that, you're not focused on that which drives the health insurance premiums. Claims, right? And so if you're focused on the claims and what those are, that is your gateway to managing those assets differently, right? So let's take a group that's spending a million dollars in health insurance premiums. Which is actually very common. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're, we're talking, Sounds like a lot of money. but it's We're talking common. about a group probably between 50 and 100 employees, yeah. right, in today's numbers. And so if you're looking at that, you're spending a million dollars. Well, basic economics of the past, right? And so I was one of my many majors in college. <laughs> Didn't finish any of them, but one of the major ones was, was history, right? So drinking. Yeah, pretty, well, there was a lot. There was a lot. We don't need to go into that. It's not that long of a show. Uh, <laughs> nonetheless, when it comes to uh, health insurance specifically, same thing we learned, history 1301, Mr. Alan McGuire, right? Mr. Alan taught us if history tends, definitely to, tends to repeat itself, right? So if we look back at what health insurance premiums have done to repeat themselves over the last 10 years, they've inflated at roughly 9% per year, okay? So if I th- take that number, recognizing that health care is inflating at 5%, so help me understand that, Batman, inflating at 5%, that which I am buying, that which I am financing is inflating at 9%, almost double the inflation rate, right? Well, now we can look at all the different stock prices of the various insurance companies and understand where that money's going. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, history repeats itself. So if I take that million dollar group today and I say, okay, if I continue to do the same things that I'm doing today and expect a different results, Einstein would call that insane, right? Then I am going to spend over the next 10 years, $15 million. How many people do you think understand that? That we're not advising clients. They don't because they don't think about that. So, listen, my background is in underwriting. And I remember in underwriting school, they taught us this lesson. You show prices in pennies and savings in dollars. You show us the lowest common denominator to move the needle down the road and recognize insurance companies, by and large, newsflash, not interested in losing money, fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders. In order to make their fiduciary responsibility, they need claims to go up. 
So let's reverse that a little bit. Let's go back to where that really started. So when the Affordable Care Act or the Unaffordable Care Act was passed, whichever way you want to call it, um, prior to that, health insurance companies and health care delivery systems, i.e. hospital systems, they were in conflict with one another, right? One didn't want to pay claims. One did want to generate claims. That's how they made their money, vice versa. What the Affordable Care Act did, all well-intentioned, but the road to, you know, where is paid with good intentions. Um, it, what it did is it aligned them because there was a key provision in the Affordable Care Act that was the MLR mandate or medical loss ratio. What it said was, this was the key of the Obama administration to, to rein in big insurance companies, was that health insurance companies had to spend 85 cents of every dollar on claims. Mm-hmm. Now, if I am the CFO of United Health Group, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Cigna, Aetna, pick one, it doesn't matter. And I say, you're capped to a 15% margin. Do you want 15% of a million or a billion? Pretty easy math. Not a hard decision to make, right? Especially if your fiduciary responsibility is to your shareholder. That's right. And, and actually, there was discussion about the legal aspects of that fiduciary responsibility if they did not yeah. find a way to do this differently. So the reality is what we have seen since the patch of the Affordable Care Act is the health care costs continue to inflate. But the big costs have. So the way they're getting around it is small tactical things, MRI, CT scans, uh, day-to-day doctor visits. That has actually deflated over the last decade. So the cost associated with those things is going down. The big things, preemie babies, end-stage renal disease, cancer treatments, those are inflating at an astronomical rate. So, for example, the 10 years prior to the Affordable Care Act being passed, I was in the business. The average preemie baby, on average in the United States, is about $100,000, $150,000. Today, it's well north of a million dollars. Well north. And I've seen $4 million premium babies come in. And so, again, kind of breaking all of this back down to the original question, how many people understand that? They don't. And they don't because they're not getting advice from an advisor. They're getting spreadsheets from a broker. And when you do that, it's the lesser of evils wins, right? My spreadsheet has pretty colors. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to cost shift to the employee, raising the deductibles, doing what I need to do there. But at the end of the day, the, the balloon continues to inflate and we're only squeezing the balloon, pushing it to one side. And so as a result, here is the end all be all to driving down cost in healthcare. There's only two ways of doing it. You reduce the number of claims or the price of the claims. That's it. It's the economic principle. It's yeah. the same thing we do with everything else, right? You don't like the you don't like the cost of toilet paper? All right, you got to go shop. You got to find cheaper toilet paper. I'm using that as an example yeah. of COVID, right? Um, or you buy less. Of it. Or you buy less of it. That's exactly <laughs> right. Um, and Which so, is probably bad bad strategy we, when it comes to toilet paper. Yeah. Well, you don't want to be cutting up shirts at some point. Well, this is true. <laughs> this is true. But nonetheless, I mean, that's it. And I think that we distorted that in thinking that the insurance industry is out there to protect us. It's not. Health insurance is not like every other insurance, right? Uh, Except for one key thing. It is the transference of risk. The problem with the transference of risk in the insurance space it is for a very limited amount of time. So I'm transferring a risk for a period of 12 months only to pay on the back end that risk for the next 12 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a financing arrangement, and that's the key there. So, Seth, I guess this kind of brings up a few good points. Um, and, you know... The end consumer is buying health insurance for their company based upon the recommendations of the people that they're working with, Mm -hmm. our colleagues in the industry. And they might not know how, um, well, they just, they may not know that there's a better way. Mm -hmm. So I guess what 
how, how do you typically see health insurance being positioned? Um, how do you see it typically being sold? And then give us just a couple cliff notes on what you would do different if you were them to start moving in a different way of positioning to be an advisor. Yeah, uh, the specifically the, the brokers themselves, I'm assuming, that's kind of what you're, you're yeah. referring to. Um, so how it's been positioned is really what I said earlier, spreadsheets. The lesser, you know, go to the far right of the spreadsheet. That's where the cheapest all one's about, going to be. It's all about price? <laughs> all about price, yeah. absolutely. And, and and there might be a little bit in there about, okay, well, we moved, you know, maybe labs to copay and coinsurance. Wellness we raised programs, the deductible. Right? We're, d- wellness programs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, wellness programs. Uh, that's the end all be all, right? Totally. So, but here's the reality of this, right? 90% of all costs associated with the average health care plan from an employer, 90% of the claims generated are done so by less than 10% of the population. Statistically, that holds true across Very the Very little known fact in the industry. That's right. Now, the data's out there. Not a lot of people know it. Not a lot of people know it. And quite frankly, a lot of brokers don't know it because why do they need to? Again, by their name, their job is to shop insurance. It is not to manage health care. Let's let's make that very clear distinction. If, if you're working with a broker, they're probably doing the definition of their job, which is to shop your insurance. You need to be working with an advisor, we would suggest, because that which they are advising you on is what is creating the health insurance premiums. So how does a broker get out of that cycle? Well, you have to, again, do what I said at the beginning. Stop focusing on the premiums, because if you're focusing there, you're focusing on the thing that the industry wants you to focus on mm-hmm. versus what's driving the premiums. Where is that 10%? Where is the waste in that 10%? So studies have been done. They're, they're regularly done, but they consistently hold true that 25% of all healthcare in the United States is unnecessary. So it's, it's wasted, right? And that's in large part because in the United States, we have an outcomes-based system, or we have a fee-for-service system, not an outcomes-based system, right? So the more tests that are done, the more procedures that are done, the more things that are ordered up. Uh, and, and then the healthcare systems will hide behind uh, lawsuits and malpractice, yeah. and oh, if we don't discover, and there's some truth to that. We do need some legitimate tort reform in the United States to, to limit that. But nonetheless, that also generates a massive profit opportunity. And people blindly trust others that are wearing white lab coats. It's mm-hmm. just a known fact, which is in large part why hospital systems by and large across the United States are buying up primary care doctors as fast as they can. More than 50% of all primary care doctors in the United States are now owned by a hospital system. Why? It's their sales force. Yeah. There's no money in that. Where are they going to refer you? That's yeah. exactly right. To the third floor to get that MRI that's three grand versus the one across the street at the imaging center that's yeah. 150 bucks. So this is the entire thing. So for, for a broker that says, I'm tired of living in the constant cycle of presenting lesser value options to my clients, and I'm competing on service, which, by the way, is not a differentiator. Table if, stakes. Table stakes. If you can't service your account, you're not in business, right? Seth's from, from Texas, so we've heard yeah, of things. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> not sorry about that. That's just the way we talk. Um, right? But it, it, so from that perspective, though, you really want to differentiate yourself. Have a different conversation. How do you do that? Well, you have to have foundational knowledge around the healthcare system. And once you can get that knowledge, that's going to develop confidence. Confidence then develops into enthusiasm. And that's what ultimately helps you push it across the finish line. Because when a client is coming to you, you can be confident because of that knowledge and you can show that enthusiasm they want to be part of. It's not, well, Susie, Jerry, Billy, sorry, we had five cancer claims last year. Well, yeah, 
you sh that's probably right. We haven't cured cancer yet. And by the way, mm -hmm. cancer could care less if you're with Blue Cross United Signal or Aetna, <laughs> yeah. right? Or it's going to be a big claim. Insurance companies have, have calculated that risk. Matter of fact, in every health insurance policy in the United States, whether you are self-funded or fully insured, which are the only two types of health insurance you can buy, there's reinsurance built into it. You're buying a policy. The insurance companies have hedged their losses. And so, but people don't know that. So when the insurance company comes to you and says, hey, we got to raise your rate 10%, you had a cancer claim last year. Okay, but how much of that cancer claim did you actually pay out? Because I actually bought reinsurance for that. You did. The insurance company will never tell you that, but you did. So if you know those fundamentals of how the policy is structured, you know the fundamentals of how healthcare works, the vast disparity between costs within network. We did an analysis, for example, uh, and I know, Elliot, you know this, you've seen this. We did an analysis of the top procedures over the course of the year, all in network. And we, we pulled the top 20 procedures, right? Everything from, you know, musculoskeletal surgeries, emergency room visits, imaging, all of those types of things. We said, if these procedures all went in network at the highest cost facility, what would they have cost? And the answer was $212 million. Those same procedures on these roughly 300 clients that we, have, we, we did the analysis on, if they'd have gone to the lowest cost in the network, by the way, these aren't Bubba in a barn performing a procedure. <laughs> these are high quality in network facilities, $19 million. Wow. It's an almost $200 million swing yeah. all in network. That's what I was going to stress. The key word there, in network. That's right. There, and if you don't have a way that an employer, your client, is engaging in those services that are in the $19 million category, you are doing them a disservice. Well, and you're doing yourself a disservice, oh, right? 100%. So you would never hand a credit card to an employee and say, all right, there's a place you can go fill up your car with the company car with gas over here. They're $5 a gallon. And over there, it's two. We don't care which one you go to because both of them accept my credit card. Yeah. No. I want you to go to the place that's $2. <laughs> To get the gas, because the gas is the gas. By the way, an MRI is an MRI. Yeah. Nobody's loyal to it, yeah. right? And so that's the reality of it. And unfortunately, the system has created this layer of ambiguity that people don't understand how to be a good consumer. The average American in the United States spends uh, 10 hours researching a car before making a purchase, two hours researching a flat screen TV, 15 minutes on healthcare. Yeah, because they don't know how. And so if you're working with a solid advisor that understands how the system works, they will advise not only the employer, but also the employee on how to navigate the system. I say, look, Bubba knows how to buy a truck, <laughs> right? If I said, hey, Bubba, you got two red pickup trucks. You can go buy this one over here for 50 grand or this one over here for 30 grand. Which one are you going to do? Guess where Bubba's going to go, <laughs> right? All the bells and whistles are the same. That analogy works in healthcare because procedure over here could cost vastly different than a procedure over here. Sometimes the procedure over here can cost vastly different than the procedure over here based on whether or not you're with Blue Cross, United, Cigna, Aetna. Do you go on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday? All of those variables apply. And so again, it's just a matter of understanding the financials within the system. Absolutely. It sounds like education is just a massive uh, necessity. But how, I mean, how difficult is it? You walk out into these Companies that have been buying healthcare the same way for mm -hmm. how long? A lot of years. Decades. Yeah. And, you know, you're coming in much more educated, have been on the other side of the business in the underwriting seat and very well educated around all of this. I mean, what, what type of process is it to swing somebody's mindset to get them to the point to understand that the red truck's the red truck with the same bells and whistles? Yeah. It's just a little cheaper over here. 
to get them to the point to you know move their business and do it yeah. the right way it's a great question i think the the problem that a lot of organizations that we talk to fall into is like oh we've heard this before our employees won't change mm-hmm. right well okay did you try to paint with a broad brush so there's a lot of people out trying to tell a story like this That's right. right but they're not educating on it, right? right. So, the, 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 and they're not doing it through the plan design and plan document. I know we don't have a lot enough time yeah. to go into all of that um, today. But Take the, your underwriting half. Uh, yeah, exactly, Just, yeah. right. And so, the here, here's the reality. First of all, you you focus on the low hanging fruit, right? So, I said it earlier. Ninety percent of your cost is generated by ten percent of your population. I don't have to go educate ninety percent of your population to solve the problem. I got to focus on ten percent of your population. Now, all of a sudden, I have impacted ninety percent of your cost by focusing on educating ten percent of your population. The likes of which want that education because they're constantly in the system. They're focused on their deductible. So, let me give you an example. If I could go to someone, let's say they need a total knee replacement, right? Total knee replacement. Let's call it forty thousand dollars in network. That same surgeon oftentimes will do that procedure for a fraction of the of that amount based on the time of day, based on the contract of the network, based on, quite frankly, cash. Availability. Availability, all of those things. So, for example, if I could go get at that same provider a $40,000 total knee replacement if built through Blue Cross and Blue Shield for $20,000, I just saved the plan $20,000. Now, even if you're fully insured, and you're going, well, that's still Blue Cross money. Well, yes, but how do you think they're calculating your renewal? Yeah. Right? They're using those dollars to calculate the renewal. So if I've done that and I've lowered your claims ratio, what have I just done to the back end premiums? I've lowered them. So if you're an employer, wouldn't it be worth it to go to that employee and say, we're going to waive your $1,000, $2,000, $3,000, $5,000 deductible so long as you utilize the resources that we have available to you to ensure that you're getting that procedure done at the highest of quality at the lowest of cost. Absolutely. Now what has just happened? You've taken an industry which historically has required employers to raise deductibles and co-insurance and co-pays every year on their employees and said, we're going to actually give you the access to health care. We're just going to give you the tools to do it in a low-cost way. And if you take advantage of that, we're waiving your deductible. If I do that, I'm still netting the employer, if it's a $5,000 deductible, $15,000. And I am making that employee very loyal and appreciative of the fact that their benefit plan took care of them. Better benefits. Better benefits, lower cost. It's not a unicorn. It's a reality. You can do it. You just have to understand it. Yeah. Trying to make healthcare a... uh a benefit again. A benefit again. That's right. We say we, we actually say that here yeah, at Elbron, right? Is yeah. we've got to make benefits a benefit again. That's exactly right. So something that you know that I've always thought is is interesting and we talk about it a lot, right? That it's you mentioned ninety percent of cost generated by ten percent of the population. But for years we've heard the solution to healthcare is wellness programs. The solution to cost of healthcare is raise deductibles, you know, so that you're sharing in more of the risk with the insurance company. All of those types of things which are focused on either the entire population or they're focused on the 90%, right? right. Why is it in your opinion that that is the strategies that, in, you know, whether it's being pushed by insurance companies or just the industry in general that seems to say, hey broker, go out and talk to clients about this. Why, in your opinion, do you feel like that's the message that's in the industry? One word, misdirection. 
a, a lack of focusing on the real problem means that we're perpetuating the real problem, which is generating profits for those that need them most. Most insurance companies have gotten into wellness. Most insurance companies now own their own PBMs or pharmacy benefit managers. Boy, there's a whole topic we could do, right? Uh, most insurance companies don't want you focusing on that 10% because that's what's driving their opportunity and savings and money. Same for the hospital systems. Right. So this idea that we're going to go and focus on your wellness plan for 90 percent of your population, who, by the way, are rarely ever hitting their deductible anyway. So why are we raising their deductible? It's not going to move the needle. And by the way, that cancer patient that's generating eighty thousand dollars in chemotherapy. I don't care if they have a two thousand dollar or a five thousand dollar deductible. They're still going to hit it and it's still going to generate a lot of chemotherapy costs. And so why not instead focus in on that, lower their cost? I say it all the time. Insurance is the barrier of access to the healthcare system. Mm. And you've got to think of it that the insurance company and the hospital systems equally think of health care, the care that you should be getting, the preventative care, the care that is, is low cost and, and, and going to help prevent high cost claims. They treat that like the milk in the grocery store. Mm. Stick it in the very back. There's no money in it. Remember I said earlier, the healthcare costs are inflating on the big stuff, deflating on the small stuff. So what does the insurance company do? They want to make sure you can't get the small stuff, deductibles, co-insurances, yeah. co-pays. You can't go get that MRI. You can't go get that physical therapy. You can't get that CT scan. You can't go see your primary care doctor. You can't go get chiropractic care. All of the little things that don't cost any money mm-hmm. because they need to make sure that that procedure that could have been solved early on becomes a big one. So just like the milk in the back of the grocery store, you got to walk through all the aisles. you got to pick all those do- uh, doubles Oreo cookies. <laughs> I'm going to give you it's my own the, uh, It's right? a $4 chicken at Costco. Totally. There you go. Right? Costco loses, what, $120 million on it a year or something? Yeah. Just to get you to walk through their store. That's exactly right. It's the loss leader. And so the hospital systems and the health insurance companies know that. Remember, they're aligned now. One is the credit card company. One is the delivery system. And so what we need to do, if we really want to get serious about this, and it's counter to our way of thinking, but we have to get there because, trust me, it works. And we've seen it in our own clients here. You have to move the milk to the front of the grocery store. You have to make access to health care easy. Because if I can get that employee, that nobody wakes up today and goes, I think I want an MRI today. That's a pleasant experience, right? I mean, maybe there's a hypochondriac out there somewhere, but the reality is that's not the normal person. They don't want to have to do that. So if they need it, why not spend the negotiated rate that you can get that MRI for at 250 bucks, 300 bucks? Because if you do and you can discover that issue, maybe we can solve that problem before it becomes a big issue and now it costs you a big amount of money. Yeah, I think that that's kind of the the message is peel back the layers and ask questions as to why, you know, if an underwriter is telling you, hey, we've got to give you a 12% increase, but if we raise the deductible by $1,000, you know, we'll make that an 8% or whatever. There's a reason why all that's happening, right? And we always talk, underwriters aren't dumb. Insurance carriers aren't dumb. They're in it to make money. They have goals to hit. They have fiduciary responsibility of the shareholders. And so it's incumbent on the advisor to be the one to ask those questions, to understand it, to be knowledgeable in order to do it. So I think that might be one of my last questions is, because you mentioned that's the first thing is be knowledgeable, be educated, and be that advisor. If I'm, you know, Joe Blow at name the big big agency or something like mm-hmm. that that maybe has a different philosophy than we might maybe sure. wants to sell fully insured plans blah 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 where do i go short of leaving that company which you have your own story on your jerry mcguire moment yeah. but uh where do i go to get myself educated 
on how I can better serve my clients as an advisor. Yeah, I, listen, there are resources out there right now, uh, widespread. I mean, it doesn't take a five-second YouTube search to, yeah. to, to pull up videos everywhere. There's a really good TED Talk out there by this guy named Seth Vincent. <laughs> I strongly encourage you to go. There's a book I heard I, called I, The Cure. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it, absolutely. Like so, that. but no, there's it's resources. on Amazon bestseller just now. It was for about five minutes, which is fantastic, because now I have that title for the rest of my life. Uh, my mom bought a lot of copies. Let's just be real. Uh, nonetheless, uh, guess what would everybody have for Christmas Day? Um, but no, I, listen, early on, listen, I've been in the business now 20 years. Google wasn't a thing 20 years ago. We had to really dive and, and research and read JAMA reports and, you know, Journal of, Journal of American Medical Association, yeah. by the way. Um, so you, you, I, I mean, didn't know that one. This is, this is not, not page-turning stuff, by the way. <laughs> but this is where we all had to go early on to start building this repertoire. There are a lot of, of information out there. You just have to search for it. You know, Health Rosetta is a good one. There's, there's some things out there. I know Dave Chase has done a great job. He's got a great TED Talk out there. Um, but, again... I think the onus comes back to you to know and understand that what you want to be. You mentioned that somebody that says, hey, I, I just want to be a broker. Well, that's fine. Guess what? You're probably going to make a lot of money and you're not going to have to work very hard because you don't have to be very diversified with the exception of there is a sweeping change going on right now from employers across the country who are saying enough is enough. Mm -hmm. I'm done with dealing with this. I have to think differently about it. And 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 if you are not already on that train, it has left the station. You better move quickly because you are going to find yourself losing a lot of business very quickly because those clients are looking for advice. They're not looking for a broker anymore. I said it early on. We used to give advice for free in order to pay for brokering. Yeah. Right? It's going to flip. I'll broker your account for free. Pay me for my advice, yep. right? And that's the shift we're seeing in the market well, right now. No different than healthcare prices, you know. Uh, it's the the value has to align. The supply and demand and the economics have to work. And if a broker is getting paid a lot of money to do nothing, there's a short runway. That's right. And it's coming. Yeah. And, and we've had a very protected industry for yeah. literally the last 40 years yeah. um, of, you know, listen, it's just wash, rinse, repeat, sell the lesser of evils, you know, do what you got to do to now move the needle. Players have to buy it. That, well, that's right. They're, they're required to buy it. It's expected. It's not a benefit anymore. It's an entitlement, yep. right? I'm entitled to get it if I work for you. The law now says you have to buy it for me anyway. And, oh, by the way, my, my deductibles are capped. All of these things are in there. So employers have to become more savvy. And just in the same way they think about every other aspect of their business, they have to recognize that in healthcare, much like every other industry, there is supply chain. If you are not managing the healthcare supply chain, and by the way, insurance, not one of the components of the supply chain. That is quite literally the Amex. All right. Unless you're focusing on and managing the healthcare supply chain, you are going to lose the battle every time. Insurance companies are smarter. Healthcare systems are smarter. They're highly um, financed and they know what they're doing. You cannot be stuck playing checkers while they are playing chess. You will lose the game every time. And I think, you know, that's the message of the entire podcast is start playing chess. That's right. With your clients. You know, that's a great analogy that we use all the time. And so, um, thanks, man. Hey, man. I think that was a great time. We yeah, can sit here and great. talk for hours. Absolutely. And yeah. we have, just to let everybody know, sure. that's, we're really fun at parties, as Seth always says. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, thanks. I'm sure we'll do it again. Uh, have you back on? You know, you're up here quite a bit. So fantastic. Look forward Appreciate to it. Appreciate it. All right. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. Take care. See you, everybody. Thanks.